This is the Business and Leadership Podcast with Jared Graybeal. Hey guys, welcome back to the Business and Leadership Podcast. This is your host, Jared Graybeal, and Per usual, we issue a monthly episode that's usually under 20 minutes and it's about leadership. Um, But I've been getting blessed lately with some really good interviews. So today we've got another bonus interview with a buddy of mine, Sergio Caban. Sergio's a, I call him Serge. So Serge is an entrepreneur, a finance entrepreneur. Um, He's got real estate investments. He's got investments in other areas. He day trades and... um, you currently own two businesses. One of them is G-Rama Capital, and we'll talk a little bit about what that does. And then you own another real estate um, property management and stuff like that, and we'll get into that too. Um, Serge, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm good. Living awesome, man. Yeah, and, and just for the audience, for a little context, Serge uh, is a good friend of mine, actually, and so um, this may be a little more conversational, but... Uh, Serge is a part of a small mastermind group that um, him and I and two other friends uh, are a part of. And if you've heard me talk about it before, he's one of those guys. He's sort of the finance expert in our group. Um, Serge, tell me a little bit about your story. You know, for the audience, I know that you've been doing sales forever. Yeah. Um, But let's talk about where you're from, what brought you here, and what you're currently doing now. Um, Well, I grew up, was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. Um, grew up in a, in a sales environment. My pops owned a small car dealer in Newark, and I was basically working there from the age of 15 and up. Started as uh, washing cars, and right from there, started into sales. And uh, never had another profession since. I've always been in sales uh, since the car business. And I think that's what laid out a good foundation for me uh, moving forward into starting a business because I felt like I, I knew what it was, to, you know, how to sell. And from that, I knew I could transition that to make more money. Um, so always was interested in, in, in real estate, always wanted to get into it. So right off the bat, when I was like 19, 20 years old, I started saving for my first property, uh, picked up my first property at 22, uh, and just kept growing it ever since. And then uh, continued into starting other business ventures, other different investments, and um, here I am today. Awesome, man. Sir, do you, you, your last sales job was selling printers, right? <laughs> uh, actually, no, it was selling... Uh, Parts and service in a Mercedes dealer. Okay. Um, prior to that, though, you sold printers. Prior to that, I was selling printers for two years. Yep. What was that like? That was brutal. By far the most difficult job I've had. Um, also the most rewarding in the sense of how much I've learned when it comes to cold calling, creating relationships out of thin air, you know, from people you don't know. They don't know you. They're in a selling a really difficult product that most people don't have any interest in, especially business owners and CEOs. The last thing on their mind is a printer, right? That's probably the last thing on the priority list. So yeah. trying to have a conversation and pitch something to make it seem important and um, have them give me the time of day to explain to them why it's important and why they should transition into the Xerox printer, um, that definitely got me sharp when it came to sales um, and, and building quality relationships with CEOs and like C-level executives. I bet, you know, if you were to pull one specific experience or really one job um, that's contributed to what you do now. And I'm really speaking for you in this instance, I bet like selling Xerox printers uh, would be that one. Um, it, like you just said, it put you in contact with executives, C-suite people, 
yeah. people that you wouldn't normally talk to because they're not coming on the lot. They've got an assistant going to pick up their car. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, that's really, really cool. And then it's a grind. Like, nobody yeah. coming out of college right now is like, I want to be a Xerox printer salesperson. Not at you know all. what I mean? Yeah. Um, so it's those instances, like those cold calls, those door-to-door sales that really uh, make people like your story great. And I think it's what creates like resilience. And I mean, at the end of the day, cause you're somewhat of an introvert at the end of the day, like that's probably how you like learn to get along so well with people is through that sales yeah. process. Um, I love that, man. And I think that speaks volumes to a lot of listeners right now. Like some of the even younger people or not even all young people, anybody working a job that's a really hard B maybe monotonous and not your favorite in the whole world. Like just pull as much, like work as hard as you can and pull as much lessons from that right now. So you can apply it later on. Um, cause it'll most likely be a part of the success story. I would imagine. For sure. Another thing I want to advise, I know there's a lot of people now that are considering starting a business. And I think the safest way to get a feel of what a business would feel like is getting a sales job. that's entirely dependent on performance. Um, if you do that and you feel like you're good at it and you can produce odds are you can probably transition into starting a business and, and selling your own product at some point. Um, but it's definitely a good way to kind of get, you know, put your toe into the water, so to speak, and see how that feels. Cause, uh, many people can't handle rejection. Um, you know, when you got, when you're offering something and flat out, people are rude to you or they're just like, I just don't want your product. Uh, for some people that's pretty tough. Uh, but if you can get past that and learn how to be persistent, uh, learn how to communicate learn how to build rapport. I mean, those are the core things for, you know, any relationship. I mean, relationships in general and in any business, you need to have yeah. it. So, um, it's definitely good practice. That's a great point. And I, you know, with, with what we do, <clears throat> at least in the, the sales and marketing side, we try to create an opportunity where it is entrepreneurial, having like tier-based initiatives attached to their pay. Yeah. Um, so other leaders out there, maybe you already own a business, like, you know, maybe you're entrepreneurial and you're naturally sales driven, but it's some, early on for me, it was like, how do I get my team to be like me? And of course, it's important to know that they'll never be exactly like you. You're, you know, when you're the owner, you'll want to win more than anybody else on your team. Sure. Um, but to get your people on board, create tier-based opportunities that are entrepreneurial, right? Like right. if they don't like rejection, they shouldn't be in sales. You know what I mean? But exactly. create opportunities for them to where the, if they start selling, they get paid more. If they start creating new initiatives and new relationships and new marketing partnerships, like they should get benefited from that just like the owner does. Um, and it's a, you got to be real creative depending on what you do. But, but I think that's a great example. Like if you want to start a business, go do sales first. Yeah. Um, definitely. This, definitely you can't sell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or find a partner that can do sales. Cause it, you don't necessarily have to be a great salesperson to be a, you know, to be a business person, but you probably need a partner that can do yeah, sales. If you don't do it, you absolutely need somebody who does on your team. Yeah. Sure. Um, who's got to be able to pitch the vision and, you know, be convincing. Yeah, be convincing. Um, Serge, what is the greatest obstacle that you've experienced um, that you've overcome in order to get where you're at today? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I guess for me, being an introvert, I guess the hardest thing for me was conquering that fear of constantly having to meet people and build new relationships. For me, naturally, I was not like that. I'm very introverted. So uh, being able to turn that switch on and, and connect with people and go out there, lose that fear, you know, fear of rejection, fear of what people think about me and kind of just go out there, do my pitch, 
um, try to add as much value as I can and just feel good about that and actually enjoy the process. Uh, I think that was the most rewarding part, kind of transitioning from like dreading it to actually learning to love it and now getting energy from it and actually excited to meet new people, um, nice. connect. That's awesome. Hey, side note, are you wearing a Jaguars hat right now? Yeah, I did this for you, man. So, <laughs> appreciate that. Just want to represent Jacksonville for a little bit. We'll get a picture of that in a little bit. Um, is there any time, Serge, in your experience where you were like really shut down and like you questioned, like yes. as an ext- intro- as an introvert, was there a time where you just got so shut down that you were like, maybe this isn't for me? Um, I did. I think that happened when I first started my business, my commercial lending business. I kind of did it the way nobody should, but I'm kind of, I have a high risk tolerance. And I'm a little crazy. So I basically quit my job cold turkey and just went right into it with a couple grand on my account and savings, like no guarantee when I was going to make the first dollar. And first three months were brutal. You know, I had no connections, no network. Um, I was starting from scratch. You know, I was hitting the pavement, basically visiting bankers, visiting accountants, trying to get business from all these people. Um, Didn't get my first deal for the first three months. Um, So that first three months were pretty brutal. You know, because at that point I was questioning, like, should I have left my job? Should I have played it safe and maybe work and do this part time? Uh, what if what if this fails? You know, I start questioning myself and, you know, but I had a deep conviction that this was what I was supposed to be doing. Like this, this was the path I was supposed to take, even though it didn't make sense at the moment. And um, after three months, I started cracking new deals, started getting business. I started building my network and things started flowing a little bit better for us. So, yeah, that was definitely difficult. The first three months of starting a business was a mental battle. Yeah. yeah. I can say even spiritually, too. It was a spiritual battle. It was just a lot of thoughts at the same time to handle. Yeah, probably a lot of negative thoughts that you had to overcome. Yeah. And Serge, in your opinion, what makes a good leader? Like, if you had to choose one to three personality traits or characteristics, what would, what would they be? I think one thing, a leader's optimistic, despite the situation. I feel like a leader's focus on the solution instead of the problem. I think that's a main one, and we're seeing that now. You see a lot of leaders really focus on the problem. You have leaders that are standing out, creating solutions. That's good. Um, and I think that's what people need more than anything, right? Sometimes they need somebody to give them that hope and say, hey, there is a way out of this. Um, you definitely need tenacity. you got to have that grit. A leader definitely has that grit to be able to withstand all the things that are going to come his way, you know, because it's not going to be smooth. The ride is not easy. Um, so you definitely have to have this tough skin when it comes to leadership. For sure. Um, and I think the third thing is being able to clearly identify the vision and, and communicate that to these people. Being mm-hmm. clear on that. The clearer that is, you know, people are motivated. They work harder. Um, everybody knows where they're going. So being clear on direction, clear communication. Love it, man. That's solid. Um, now, when it comes to business, what are a few things that you think contribute the most to a successful business? And when I ask that, I mean things like market timing, market conditions, leadership, teamwork, the business model, the product, the culture. Like if you had to pick one or two things at the top of that, what would it be to you? I definitely think it would be the business model and the culture. I mean, for when it comes to scaling and growing a business, I think culture is extremely important because again, mm. you're not going to build something by yourself. You've got to build it with a group of people. And if there's good, healthy culture, people will be motivated to continue pushing the business forward. You know, you can't do it by yourself. So I think culture is extremely important. Um, yeah. 
I love it. And I, I, obviously you have to take everything with a grain of salt because you can have a fantastic culture and a horrible product. Yeah. Um, you can launch a product at the wrong time. So some of that stuff is, it, it all plays a part, but in a pie graph, you think culture would be the biggest piece of pie. Right? Culture and customer service, excellent customer service is definitely <clears throat> on the top, especially Love in competitive, the competitive market that we're in, you've got to excel customer service. And even the small details, uh, a rule for myself I've had, even when I started the business, like I'm going to answer every phone call. I don't care what time the client calls me. I don't care what question it is. I'm going to make myself available at any time because I noticed the problem in my industry is that people were very difficult to reach. Mm. And so that was always a complaint I've heard from a lot of clients. So I was like, well, one way I can serve them better than everybody else is be more available than anybody else um, until we build those relationships. So uh, customer service could definitely give you an edge once you realize what the other people are not doing and you just do Huge. it better. Yeah, and I think you really sort of parallel uh, Sal Frazella's perspective. I had the opportunity to interview him um, last week, and he's the president of First Forum, which is one of the largest supplement companies um, in the world, I would imagine, and sells an exemplary leader and just really, really, really hard focus on culture. Um, but I love one thing that he said, because we talked about product, and, and I think that First Forum's got – um, I wouldn't say the best product because you can't really claim that in the supplement world, but they've got one of the best products uh, or comparably the best product out there. And, you know, what he said is you have to have the best culture, but your product has to be within the top 30%. You know, That's if cool. you've got a crappy product and great culture, great customer service, it really doesn't mount up. But if you want to be competitive, if you want to be the leader, like if you want to right. win, you have to have a, a – you know, exceptionally good product, top 30%, which I love because I'm a numbers guy. Like, right. It's, it's not hard, better, but it's better than the other half, the lower half. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I sell food for a living, so we can never truly claim we have the best meal prep. Like cause food, you know, your palate is qualitative. It's a, right. it's a an opinion. Yeah. So, um, top 30%, like I can aim for that, you know, that's doable. Um, so I love his perspective, have the top 30% product, but have the best culture. And I can do that. Like I can, you yeah, know, as a business easy. owner, as a leader, we can invest in our culture. Can we control people? No, but can we get them off the boat? Yes. Um, so um, per, let's talk a little bit about the pandemic and the coronavirus crisis. And as it relates yeah. to finances, because that's really what I, where I want to zone in is on sort of maybe individual finance management and small business uh, management of finances. What changes, Serge, have you made um, personally right now in your finances? So, so I'm actually haven't changed much because some of the adjustments I made, I made two years ago, and it was in anticipation for the just in case or worst case scenarios. So there's a couple of rules that I live by and I follow. Um, one big thing is being a minimalist when it comes to expenses. I really go through the questions, do I really need this? How much value does it have for me? Uh, can I do away with it? And uh, for the last two years, I pretty much shut down any negative debt, any type of loan that didn't produce any kind of income, got rid of it. In fact, it was, you know, Hulu, I wasn't watching it. I didn't need it, I got rid of it. And that way, um, becoming a minimalist, I dropped my expenses extremely, extremely low. So um, what I need to survive on a monthly basis is very manageable between all my investments and my businesses combined. So when a situation like this happened, I pretty much already prepared for it because of the way I financially planned out the last few mm -hmm. years. And I know I shared a few of these plans with you because we've been in the mastermind group, uh, I think for almost two years now. 
And that's always been kind of one big agenda. It's like eliminate debt, eliminate debt. If it doesn't make me money, like I don't need that loan. I don't need yeah. that credit card, you know, and kind of just having that mindset on in the times that I do take on debt, it's either because I'm investing in a business, I'm investing in a product that's going to produce something for me, or I'm investing in real estate, which I know is going to give me some form of residual income. Um, so it's very easy to make decisions when I can just kind of black and white it that way. Yeah. You know, that's really especially when you said two things I want to highlight that you said is one, you eliminate unnecessary expenses. So, you know, for the audience, I think it's so important if you haven't already, which this, you know, common sense isn't so common. Yeah. Um, do a personal audit of your personal finances. And, and like you said, if you're not watching Hulu, Hulu, uh, it made me sound old. I don't even know how to pronounce <laughs> Hulu. Um, if you're not watching it, cancel it, right? Because it's those $6.99 a month, $11.99 a month. That stuff adds up. Yeah. Um, and then you can, you can justify the coffee when you're not paying for Hulu that you're not watching. Exactly. Um, and let's not get into the Starbucks coffee that's five bucks a cup. I wouldn't want to get into <laughs> I'm not going to get into that rant because I feel like people know. Yeah, there's, there's, mixed, there's mixed perspectives on the coffee a day thing in the finance management world. We'll circle back to that in a minute. Um, you also said something else. If it's not making you money, you don't take the money. And so I want to clear up that perspective for the audience, especially for those that aren't business owners, um, because debt is common in business. But the thing about debt that I want to point out that you mentioned is that if it's not making you money, you don't take it. And so what that means in layman's terms is that when you borrow money from the bank or from a third party, there's almost always interest. And let's say that the interest is 10%. You're, what you're saying is that if you borrow, we'll just say $100,000, mm -hmm. and it's 10% interest. So let's just say you're going to pay back 110. If you can't make 110 or more off of it, you don't take that money. Because right. then you, you would lose money. So the only time you ever use credit or use debt is if it makes you more money than the interest that it's costing you long term. Right. And that's a, little bit more, of, that's a little bit more of a sophisticated approach. I feel like the first step is actually just learning to get rid of bad debt in general. Because this is what happens. Let's say you hop into an investment, you put X amount of money, it makes you 10% interest. right? But you have a credit card that's costing you 18% every month. It's literally eating up whatever potential profit you would have had from that investment. So it's like in order to go forward, you got to move back a little bit first and get rid of all the toxic debt so that when you're ready to get into something that's going to produce, it's not setting you back. Yeah. That's really good, man. And I think we, we can't really go much further without specifically helping people. You know what I mean? But I think the rule of thumb is, you know, don't continue to take money from other sources if you've got high interest money still out there. Or if you're going to pay off stuff, pay off the high interest stuff first. Right. And there's a lot of strategies they can do to kind of get that interest down, you know, whether it's consolidating high interest cards into one term loan with a lower rate. Um, definitely look into different avenues to get that interest rate down because that is the biggest killer. And there's a phrase that I was taught a few years ago. I think this is really good because if you understand this kind of really, it's a good tattoo, brain tattoo. It says interest is the penalty you pay for the right to own something in advance that you cannot afford. <laughs> when I heard that, it kind of sh shifted something. I'll say it again. It's interest is the penalty you pay for the right to own something in advance that you cannot afford. Wow. That's and, uh, convicting. 
to say it's the least. It's very convicting because you're basically like, if you know that, you know that you're buying something, you know you shouldn't be buying unless you had the cash to pay for it then and there, right? Yeah. And only really, the, the only exception is if you're taking on an investor mindset where you're doing, you're taking on a calculated risk to make some form of profit or, or return in the long term. Uh, yeah. But at that point, it's worth the risk because at least you're going to potentially gain something out of it. But if you are paying for a $300 pair of sneakers on a credit card, there's absolutely no gain there. It's a loss plus interest. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely a different way of thinking. It's not common. I'm hoping that through time and, and through the resources and us having these conversations, it becomes more common to assess things like this with that kind of mindset and questioning whether it's worth it or not, as Love opposed that, to being man. impulsive. Wow. Serge, I know that you haven't made much changes personally because you prepare for times like this. What about professionally? Have you made any changes to the business? I have because I'm in the lending business. Um, a lot of the lenders I work with pretty much are on hold until we know what's going to go on um, as far as the lockdown is concerned, as far as how business is going to go. Everybody's pretty much on a standstill. So in, in the midst of this, people are pretty much redoing their guidelines. So I don't like to get into... I don't like to get customers into deals that are not going to benefit them fully. So obviously in times like this, the rates are a lot higher. They're requiring more reserve and things are not going to benefit business owners. So I pretty much paused all lending until we get some better terms for the clients. Uh, but in the meantime, I have been networking a lot, specifically with LinkedIn. Since I know a lot of people are home a lot and uh, in my business particularly, it's a very relationship-based business. So if I'm not making new connections, I'm essentially not making new business. So I have to be meeting people all the time, at least between mm. five and 10 people a day. Obviously I can't go out there, hit the pavement and visit banks, visit accountants, but I got LinkedIn, yeah. you know, which I hope everybody who's in business uses this because it's by far one of the best tools. I've gained a ton of business through LinkedIn. I've done deals through for simple messaging, you know, reaching out to people. And um, I have a vast network now because of it. And that's the main way I'm right now that I'm connecting to everyone right now. That's really good, man. And I, um, I, for some reason I do really well on LinkedIn as well. And I don't put a lot of time into it cause I'm not B2B, um, you know, super fit foods is B2C, but it's, you know, it's right. still a platform, but LinkedIn, man, I like the page, but I get irked by the inbox messages that I get from yeah. 20 people a day, the copy pasted messages. It's just spam overload. Right. And these people might have good products and services, but the moment I open it up and it's, Hi, Jared. I've been meaning to reach out to you about our SEO service. And then I look down and it's a yeah. 800 words and then a link to click. And I'm like, this person is not genuine. They're not organic. So how do you go about doing that? Like, What's your pickup line? How do you slide in their DMs? Well, I specifically know who I can bring value to. right? So I first narrow that down to which businesses I'm going to be touching on. I'm not just randomly picking random people. There's specific professions that I know that I can help. Um, so first I'll create a list of those kind of, like, who do I want to meet people that are in accounting, people that are in banking, people that work with real estate investors, right? I know that I could bring value to them because I could help them make money. So I never go ahead pitching, Hey, what can you get me? Can you get me a customer? It's more like, how can I help you? How can I add value to what you're doing uh, to help your customers and dig in more into about them more than about myself at first. I just feel it's very selfish to just open up a conversation and say, Hey, buy my product. Yeah. Not knowing anything about the person. It just feels very, like you said, inorganic. And that's just not my personality type. I'm not a very, uh, I'm not a pressure salesman, you know, where it's like, oh, buy for me, work for me, please. You know, I'd rather just be laid back, 
get to know the person, know what they do. And a lot of times people are in some very fascinating businesses that you would never believe, or sometimes they, they do have a business model that's unique and it's genuinely interesting. And I've also done referrals where you know, they have a product. And I'm like, hey, I know somebody that might need that. Here's a contact, reach out, let them know that I sent you, know, that I sent you over to them. And yeah. right there I'm adding some value. If they do business or not, I'm, you know, I can't guarantee that, but at least I came in being the first one to bring value as opposed to, hey, give me business. I love it. So more conversational, less uh, sales driven. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not salesy like that. I don't, I'm, it makes you feel needy, you know? Yeah. You want to be that needy. Desperate. Um, it's just more about connecting with the right people that have common interests. I love it. And I love that you make a list first. I love that strategy. Um, going in with a plan um, instead of shooting from the hip. That's, that's good. Even on LinkedIn. Um, yeah. So Serge, I have some practical questions for you. Um, what would you do right now uh, with 1000 5000 and $10,000? Let's start with $1,000. If you just had $1,000, you're in the pandemic crisis, what would you do with it? Where are you investing in it? Are you, are you saving it? Uh, first thousand, I would probably hammer education. I would probably get myself to learn new skills. Um, I would research what are the emerging, emerging markets, what are things that are going to come out of this, right? Because the world is not going to be the same. And if the world is shifting, that means the needs are shifting. So I would definitely spend some time trying to understand where the opportunity is. And if I don't have that skill or I'm not knowledgeable, I mean, there's so many places online where you could just literally learn anything for a fraction of the price of college. Right. So I would probably spend that thousand on classes, hmm. learning a particular skill that might benefit me in the future or to start a business or to have, have something to offer when I'm in the workplace again. Love it. What about $5,000? What are you doing if you've got 5,000 bucks right now in the bank? Personally, or I mean, what would I advise somebody else to do? Uh, let's say personally. Personally, I would probably find an investment to put it into. You know, I, yeah. For sure. Would you take all 5K and drop it or would you diversify 5,000 or? I'd probably diversify it. Um, since I'm an investor in stocks and a day trader, I'd probably trade it. Okay. Um, what I'm doing what would you advise someone else to do? Uh, if it, the 5,000, I would probably save it until they have a clear cut game plan because you don't, you know, every person's different as far as how long it's going to take them to make a shift and know, you know, I think it's really important that everybody at this time, since they have the time, Really try to find a game plan that's going to work for them and also be flexible to know that maybe you might have to shift gears. You might have to adjust and do something entirely different. If you had to, what would that look like? I feel like once you have that clear, then it, it would make more sense and be more clear what you can do with the money. So at that point, I would probably save it and spend more time on a clear game plan for the next six to 12 months. Assuming they didn't have any debt that they should pay off with it. Assuming they didn't have any debt. What about 10,000? Anything different? Um, 10,000? I mean, if you had 10,000 and you were able to be patient, I would probably wait. I'd probably, first of all, build my credit, make sure that I have a really good credit score, um, increase my buying power there. And I'd probably hold on to it to buy into an investment property because we're probably entering into the best opportunity right now within the next year or two to buy something at a really, really good price. So I would definitely invest that in real estate. For sure. Nice. I love it. So build the credit, 
and wait for the opportunity to get a good deal. Okay. Serge, what are your three favorite books? Uh, since last year, one of my favorites is 5am club by Rob Sharma, uh, think and grow rich and uh, cash flow cup quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant. Yeah. Nice. Um, have you heard of rich dad, poor dad? Yeah. Kiyosaki did that one as well. I read both of his okay. books. Cash flow quadrant is the book you read after that one. Okay. I, I heard it about it a couple times and kind of the way that I am with books is I'm like, if I hear about that book again, I'll buy it. I heard about yeah. it again today. So I'll end up buying Amazing it. Book. Um, if you have, what was the best purchase that you've made in under a hundred dollars in the past six months? Um, I picked up some courses to learn how to trade. For how much bucks. was that? 70 bucks. Wow. Nice. I love what it, I learned from what I learned there, I made my money back in four weeks. All right. What'd you do with the other 30? <laughs> I, I, I put it to trade. So I put the money in the trade account. There you go. Um, all right, Serge, last question. And then I'll let you go. Um, let's say hypothetically, you get to put anything on the biggest white billboard you can imagine, right? Times Square. What would yeah. it say? Wow. Pertain to business or just life? What's the one message you want the world to know? Um, I guess the one that's been in my mind is this one. Anticipate, don't react. That's kind of been my model lately. Anticipate, don't react. Learn to um, anticipate. Okay. Can you elaborate on that? I'm interested. So actually I have it on my board here too. It's just something that I kind of, when we kind of fell into this shift with COVID and the lockdown, I was like, well, um, I have two choices, right? I can either let the fear overtake me and all the worry, or I can start looking ahead for the opportunity, anticipate um, the areas that I could grow in, what I could take advantage of in this moment in time. Um, and the more I anticipate that and take advantage of the time, the less I'll have to react and panic and do things out of emotion or make bad decisions out of fear. And that's been basically my kind of my message for the last two to three months being in this. Being in this conundrum. Yeah. All right, Serge, man, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, Serge, what's your Instagram handle? Uh, Sergio.c90. C90. And um, is there any other way people can find you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, pretty much everywhere, Instagram. Got it. Again, man, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, I'm sure I'll talk to you sooner than everybody else that I talked to on the podcast. For sure. Um, and until next time, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Jared.